In the name of the one who was and is and is to come. Amen. Amen. Taken as a whole, the 10th chapter of Luke offers important insights into what it means to live life on pilgrimage with Christ. In the previous chapter, you may remember Jesus is transfigured in radiance on the mountain. And while his friends behold a foretaste of his glory in that high place where they wish to pitch their tents for good, Jesus leads them back down the mountain into the valley towards Jerusalem, where his true glory will be revealed, not on mountain heights, but in the depths of human experience, ultimately on a criminal's cross, where his life would be poured out for the sake of the world. Over the weeks, we have been tracking Jesus' pilgrimage from the mountain to the city, and at this point, Jesus is sending some pretty mixed messages about what it is he wants from his followers. Two weeks ago, he sent out 70 leaders ahead into the villages to extend God's peace and proclaim God's kingdom come near. He instructed them to travel light and carry no purse, to accept the hospitality of others, and to greet no one on the road, lest they become distracted from their mission. But last week, in the story of the Good Samaritan, the same Jesus who told his followers to greet no one on the road, in fact, praised the foreigner who stopped on the road to help his neighbor and offer care, and then commanded his disciples to go and do likewise. This week, the same Jesus who seems to so value acts of service, the same Jesus who instructed his followers to eat whatever was set before them and to rely on the hospitality of others, seems to undermine Martha's concern for providing hospitality to him. The same Jesus who said, go and do, now says, sit and listen, as he commends the relatively idle disciple Mary. Taken in isolation, we might be tempted to interpret this classic scene as somehow establishing timeless and static religious archetypes, as if it's some kind of enduring personality test. Are you a Mary or a Martha on the, <laughs> on the biblical Myers-Briggs? <laughs> Those of us who resonate with Martha might be insulted when Jesus favors Mary for choosing the better part, we might contest Jesus, informing him that we were in fact born a Martha and that our spiritual orientation is not merely a lifestyle choice. (laughs) But if we take a closer look in the context of this larger journey on pilgrimage with Jesus from mountain to cross, we can gain some beneficial insight for navigating a life of faith today. First, Jesus is not saying that either Mary or Martha's fundamental personality is inherently superior to the other. He's saying that in this particular context, Mary 
has chosen the better role. After all, Jesus knew as he approached the cross that his time was drawing near. And what could possibly be more important in this moment than spending time together? Certainly not the casserole or the table setting. If we zoom out, we see that this is but one vignette and a mural of stories that remind us there is indeed a time and season for every activity under heaven, a time for wonder on the mountain and for boots on the ground, a time for resolute intention and for situational flexibility, a time for clear direction and for spirit-led exploration, a time for virtuous action and a time for quiet contemplation. The wider narrative of Jesus' journey, therein faithfulness is not characterized by cookie-cutter adherence to a foolproof formula, but rather as engagement in a lively and dynamic living relationship with the God who is the source of all being, with whom we are continually called into discernment, asking and wrestling with questions of what God would have us do now to be fully present to this moment. Fully present to this moment. Because notice, secondly, that Jesus does not chastise busy Martha or hospitable Martha. Jesus takes pity on worried and distracted Martha. He takes pity on fragmented Martha. Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. Translated from the Greek literally as Martha, Martha, you are pulled apart in many different directions. Both action and contemplation can be practices of love and devotion towards God and neighbor. Both action and contemplation can also devolve into perfunctory performance. When hospitality becomes more self-serving than relationship enriching, it ceases to be hospitality at all. We've all experienced this kind of undone and transactional hospitality, and I would venture to say that we've all been that person at one point or another. Often it happens when we are so committed to something or someone that we become resentful or burnt out when others do not share our passion. We stop doing it for the good of the cause and out of our own sense of vocation, and we, like Martha, start clanging and banging on those proverbial pots and pans, making a ruckus in the kitchen in search of praise and recognition for our labors. I'll never forget back in December, um, I actually preached a little bit on this, but I was uh, actually preaching for my grandfather's funeral. And at one point, I got very upset and frustrated with my mother for planning his funeral only two days after he had died. I felt like that was not ample time for the preacher to prepare. (laughs) And in certain choice words with my mother, I said, what are you doing? I want to do a good job for Papaw, and here you put me in a situation where I feel totally undone. I mean, I was just at my wits end. (laughs) And she and Michael reminded me, you know, Zach, Papaw didn't care 
about anything besides the fact that you were up there. Your presence is what mattered. Far more than the words or the sermon or any of that, what matters was that you were present to him. But in that moment, I made it more about myself than about actually tending to the moment at hand. You know, we're particularly prone to this kind of posture as those who find ourselves occupying inherently charitable or supposedly charitable environments such as church. And we are also especially prone to this when we find ourselves at moments of transition, junctures in life where the tables of hospitality have turned, when one being cared for becomes the caretaker. For those in the middle of life, it can often feel overwhelming to be someone's spouse, parent, child, sibling, grandparents, sometimes all at the same time, with responsibilities for which simply choosing to neglect is not an option. But this story teaches us that it is intending to our interior life, spending time in prayer at the feet of Jesus, that not only refreshes and renews our hearts and minds, but resets our attitudes and orientation. When we have become weary from everything on our to-do list, God transforms the burden of all we have to do into thanksgiving once more for all we get to do, lifting our souls from the weight of our obligations and into a posture of praise. Perhaps the most remarkable thing about this whole episode is not Jesus' admonishment of Martha, but his affirmation of Mary. What may seem a docile and submissive act of devotion on Mary's part is actually a radical act of resistance towards societal norms and a sign of social empowerment. Believe it or not, there was actually a traditional Jewish morning prayer floating around in the first century and still prayed by some today that went, Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. (laughs) Thank you, God, I'm not like those other people. At best, a reminder of the privilege one enjoyed and of his responsibility to wield it well. At worst, a blatantly prejudiced religious mantra. In any case, it highlights the reality that Mary, by sitting at Jesus' feet, assumes a position reserved for men alone who would sit at the feet of a rabbi to be taught the ways of Torah, an activity at the time strictly forbidden of a woman. And yet, rather than dismissing her, Jesus celebrates Mary for having chosen the better part. Gender aside, have you ever entertained the idea that engagement in basic Christian practices could be among the most transformative countercultural activities that any of us could possibly participate in? In a society that prizes productivity, performance, and profit above all else, the observance of prayer and worship, sacraments and Sabbath, are nothing less than acts 
of resistance. In a culture that appraises humans for what we do, these practices insist that we are valuable for who we are and that who we are is beloved. Over all the labels and stereotypes and categories that seek to claim us, we are at the most fundamental level of our being, children of the Most High God. I believe this morning, God is calling us to seek after Mary's heart in the midst of a Martha world. Open up your email, scan your calendar, turn on the news or social media, and there is no shortage of cares and causes, crises, calamities, and things we simply have to do vying for our time and attention. Likewise, All Saints is an exceptionally active and hospitable church with a wonderful legacy and living tradition of engagement with our city in meaningful and life-changing ways. Look at our parish calendar and there is no doubt that we are a Martha church. (laughs) I always smile when I notice our cornerstone plaque out at the entrance to the sanctuary with the historic denominational title that reads All Saints Protestant Episcopal Church. And I would contend that nowhere is our Protestant heritage more evident than the incredible Protestant work ethic of those who call this place home. This is a community that is not confused about the fact that loving service to God and neighbor, care and advocacy for the least, the last, and the lost, and hospitality to the stranger and the outcast are indispensable requirements of Christian life. Nevertheless, you and I know that the work of the kingdom takes a toll. When we look around at all the opportunities we have to serve, all the wrongs to be righted, injustices to be corrected, all the pain and suffering and distress to be addressed, we can easily find ourselves spent, spiritually devoid and clamoring for recognition. What we once intended to be a feast might yield a cacophony of pots and pans, clanging and banging in frustration, mistaking the call to service for a vocation of being outraged. I think in the world we live in, it is so easy to assume a vocation of being outraged. But I don't think that's what God wants for us. And so my friends, to you who are worn and wearied by the weight of the world this morning, to you who are pulled in a million different directions, to you who wonder if anybody even sees you or notices you, the good news is that Jesus knows you. Jesus sees you. Jesus recognizes you already. And Jesus invites you to come to this table and lay your burden down. And so I leave you with these words of invitation from a Celtic communion prayer from Iona Abbey off the coast of Ireland, which reads, Jesus was always the guest in the homes of Peter and Jairus, Martha and Mary, Joanna and Susanna, Jesus was always the guest. At the meal tables of the wealthy, where he pled the case of the poor, he was always the guest. Upsetting polite company, befriending isolated people, welcoming the stranger, 
Jesus was always the guest. But here at this table, Jesus is the host. Those who wish to serve him must first be served by him. Those who want to follow him must first be fed by him. For this is the table where God intends us to be nourished. This is the time when Christ can make us new. So come, you who hunger and thirst for a deeper faith, a better life, a fairer world. Jesus Christ, who has surely sat at our tables, now invites us to be guests at his. Indeed, my friends, there is need for only one thing. Come, taste and see.